So this series that I'm beginning with you today, I'm calling Spiritual Life Hacks, and this is the first of, I guess it's five, because there's five Sundays in, in October, and this one is on how to feel better about yourself. You know, I was doing my grocery shopping this week, and I happened to glance up at some of the magazines that were on the, the rack. I don't usually see them, but I saw one, um, a current edition of a magazine called Real Simple, and smack in the middle, the entire front page of that edition of Real Simple is the phrase, life hacks. Secrets to an easier life. I thought, now isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Right there in front of me, the very thing that I feel that I want to share with you this month. And of course, a life hack is the idea of a strategy or a technique or something that we can learn and, and put into practice to make our lives better, to feel more efficient, to be more effective. And the phrase, I think, is gained in popularity. We, we, if you Google life hacks, you'll come up with all sorts of different concepts and ideas. And, and people on the internet and in social media and circles share with each other oftentimes their ideas, their life hacks, things that are helping them to be more successful or happier, healthier, or more productive in their lives. Today, we're going to look at how to feel better about ourselves. And the truth is the way we feel about ourselves can vary, right? It can vary. It's not a straight line thing. Some people may tend to feel good about themselves all of the time. Others may tend to feel not good about themselves all of the time. And then, of course, there's the ebbing and the flowing to know that we can, can struggle from time to time in how we feel about ourselves, the amount of self-esteem we feel or self-care we exercise or the self-doubt we have or don't have. The way that we feel about ourselves really impacts everyone and everything around us. It's kind of a point of origin, if you will. What I want to talk about today is why we feel the way we feel about ourselves at times, as well as what to do and what not to do. And so I'll be sharing some life hack ideas and my suggestion is just pick one or two that really resonate with you and try to put them into practice for yourself. It's not at all uncommon for us to wrestle with self-esteem, is it? It's not at all uncommon for us to feel moments of self-doubt. Do you ever feel doubtful? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good friends with self-doubt. And there's a good part of self-doubt. But taken to an extreme, it can be very damaging. Self-doubt can cause us to be curious, to try to understand why am I feeling the way I'm feeling. But also, we want to look at that and make sure that when we are feeling self-doubt or when we're feeling a sense of low self-esteem, that we recognize that that is part of being beautifully human. And it doesn't mean that it has to keep us from taking another step forward a step either toward solving a problem, or a step toward healing a wound or a hurt, or a step toward our goal. We all feel moments where we're unsure of ourselves. I don't know if this is true for you, but I find it encouraging to remind myself that I'm not the only one that may go through those periods of not feeling good about myself, or feeling doubtful, or feeling insecure. 
and that all we have to do really is, is look at history and we can see some remarkable examples of people in history that we might really admire and that we don't necessarily think ever had a doubt in their mind or ever had a day where they felt badly about themselves. So as I was putting this lesson together, I thought, well, who are some of the people I'm aware of that um, suffered from not feeling too good about themselves from time to time? How many of you are familiar with the Dutch painter Vincent van, and if you're Dutch, you don't say go, not Vincent van Gogh, but it's Vincent van Uh-huh. I learned that when we went to the British Museum and when we did some um, traveling in, in Europe. It's not Vincent van Gogh, it's Vincent van Gogh. Anyway, you may be familiar with some of his paintings. You know, Starry Night is the one that comes to, to my mind. Just, I mean, beautiful, beautiful artistic talent. And yet he was riddled with self-doubt. He, he, in his personal letters, would write about his struggle and his challenge. And who would necessarily know, right? Right? Or Lincoln. There was a period of my life where I was just gobbling up all sorts of biographies of our, um, about our founding fathers. I was just fascinated. I still am a bit of a hi history buff. And, you know, with Lincoln, we think of his great leadership during the Civil War, Right? But he really suffered from a lot of depression. He suffered from a lot of self-doubt. And yet probably what we remember more about him is all the good stuff that he accomplished. And we forget that he was also beautifully human. Or Maya Angelou, who hasn't been touched by her, her writings. You know, she left the planet too soon as far as I'm, I'm concerned. A traumatic childhood, traumatic childhood. But she turned that trauma and that pain and that, that low self-esteem initially and that, that not feeling too great about herself into a powerful voice of civil rights, a powerful voice of healing. I don't know if you've ever seen this um, clip of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Maya Angelou. And in this clip, um, Oprah is asking Maya about, about uh, a book that helped to change her life. And it was actually a unity book. And she actually is speaking about unity, our unity, and how she, Maya Angelou, felt transformed the first time she heard a unity teacher say, God loves you. And this teacher wanted her to say those words herself. God loves me. And if you watch the interview, it's as if she's reliving that moment. And as she's saying that she realized, oh, my God, God loves me. She's, she's sobbing. Why? To me, I believe she was because that was an idea she did not grow up with. She grew up probably with an idea that she was a miserable sinner, perhaps. She had a difficult childhood. But here she heard something that countered all that, that helped her to rise, I believe, above that self-doubt and that feeling not good enough. Albert Einstein struggled in school, didn't fit in. Are any of these amazing to you? 
Or maybe you've heard them before, but you've forgotten them. We are in good company. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We are in good company. But because when we're not feeling good about ourselves, many of us tend to pull back and away. And we tend to deal and struggle with those feelings or think that we need to deal or struggle with those feelings alone. And when we do, those feelings tend to become bigger than what they really are. I believe that one of the purposes of spiritual community, of sangha, is that when we come together and we are our true selves, our authentic selves, when we are beautifully human with each other, we can support and encourage one another. We don't have to live inside just our own head and just inside our own story that suggests that somehow we're not okay or somehow we're not going to make it through. But together, we can remind ourselves and each other of the spiritual truth. In my notes, I write the why behind how we feel about ourselves and how we may have gotten here. The why of how do we feel about ourselves and how we may have gotten here, especially if we don't feel good about ourselves. How do we get there? I think there may be four very broad ways of answering that question. We may have gotten here not feeling very good about ourselves or struggling with our sense of self-worth, our sense of self-esteem, because of early messaging we got that we didn't quite heal from. Can any of you relate to that early messaging that you got that you didn't quite heal from? You know, maybe a, a, a parent said something to you, and maybe they even meant well by it, but your heart, your soul couldn't hear it in a positive way or didn't hear it the way they meant it, and it lives inside of you as a limiting thought, a wounded place, a place where the light is, as Rumi would say, where the light is trying to get through. Maybe it was a teacher. We have wonderful teachers, but just like everybody else, Teachers are human too, and maybe there was a teacher who said something to you, you're not good enough, you'll never make it. You should go pursue something, something else. And we live with that, and our world shrinks with that, so we can wind up not feeling very good about ourselves because of early messaging that we got. The church can be particularly guilty of this, particularly guilty of this. It infuriates me that there is still a teaching in the church that says we are born in original sin. We are not born in original sin. We are born in original blessing. It is a complete misunderstanding of the allegorical story of the fall of Adam and Eve. I'm not going to go into that in this lesson, but it is a complete misunderstanding or misinterpretation of that. We are born in original blessing. But if we grow up in a teaching that says right from the get-go there's something wrong with us, I call that spiritual malpractice. I really do. I really do. So early messaging we never quite heal from. A whole other category could be our personhood. Our personhood could be a significant reason that we maybe don't feel so great about ourselves. I think of a soul born into a body that is somehow disabled or differently abled, 
than other bodies. Their personhood may be challenged, and that challenge may cause them to feel not good about who they are and what they're capable of, or some sort of physical impairment, or or sexual um, confusion, or trying to identify what are my preferences sexually, who am I as a sexual being? So our very personhood can be the thing that causes one to feel less than, or confused, or unworthy. Life events. That's probably a very common, very common. We have a relationship that breaks down. We go through a divorce. We lose a job. We, we retire. It can be something positive, and suddenly our whole sense of identity is different. Can you relate to any, anything like that? Some of you are nodding, yes, yes. Or we've not reached a certain milestone that we've set for ourselves. Can any of you relate to that? You had a goal. You really thought by a certain period in your life or a certain birthday or a certain time that you would have accomplished or succeeded X, and you didn't. And that can cause us to go, wow, wow, and to feel less than. And the last that I would, would bucket I would say, so we have early messaging, our personhood, life events that, that happen, but also life stages life stages. I began, I was ordained in 1980. I was an associate minister or an assistant minister for three years and then have been a founding minister since 1983. So I've gone through with you, my community, um, lots of life phases and stages from being so young that I would put glasses on when I would speak so I would be taken more seriously. Only a few of you may remember that. That was a lot of years ago. To being very pregnant with my children, to being a mom, homeschooling, different phases of life. You've gone through different phases. Have you not experienced an ebb and flow in how you feel about yourself through life phases? Yes. You look in the mirror one day and you say, how did that happen? How did that happen? Anybody relate to that, or am I the only one that can look in the mirror and go, how did that, when did that happen? When did that happen? Or you look at, you know, you celebrate a birthday. I was talking to a, a, a friend, we were um, talking about birthdays, and he was turning, I think, 68, and I was turning 67. And there was a time that those numbers seemed huge. And now we look at those numbers and we say, they don't seem so huge, but how did we get here, right? So life stages that we all go through can have an impact on how we feel about ourselves. And just knowing that can normalize it a bit. You know, in, in the beautiful writing in Ecclesiastes, it, it talks about this idea, to everything there's a season, to everything there is a time and a season and a purpose. It's to remind us that everything changes that everything changes, there's an ebb and a flow to all of life. So any one of these or all of these can cause us to be in that place where we don't know how to feel about ourselves or we don't feel good enough. There's a lot of growing research that, that points to how important it is to really work at loving and nurturing yourself, to really have a a healthy, not braggadocious, not false, but a healthy sense of valuing 
who you are, of, of being more gentle and kind to yourself. I'm reading a book that was suggested to me by a, one of the church um, seminars I was attending recently. <clears throat> and the book is, you might be interested in it, the book is Why Vibes Matter. And it's written by a scientist. Why Vibes Matter. His name is Dr. Garrett Yount, and it's about understanding your energy and learning how to use your energy. Understanding your energy and learning how to use your energy. You and I are always animating and putting out vibes, right? Putting out an energy, putting out a feeling. Basic Metaphysics 101, we, where attention goes, where attention goes, energy flows, that we are either helping to attract into our life the kinds of opportunities and situations and events, or we are repelling them by virtue of our energy, our consciousness, that then determines and shapes what we say yes to, what we say no to, how we show up, on and on and on. But we can bring it right back much more to the center and say, it has so much to do with how we feel about ourselves. So I want to give you four quick ideas on what you can start doing and three ideas on what you might want to stop doing. I'm not suggesting take all of them. Trust your own inner self. When you hear something that says inside, that go, oh, I think that's for me, do that. And do not, if you're here with a spouse or significant, none of this, okay? <laughs> None of this, even if you have to do, go like this so you don't do that, right? Okay, you all know what I'm talking about there. It's tempting though, isn't it? It's so much easier to think we know what the other person needs, right? Anyway, I won't go, that's a whole other series I could do. So first, of what to do. Number one, pay attention to what you're good at. Pay attention to what you're good at. Every single person on the planet is good at something, and probably more than one thing. You're good at something. What is it? Make a list of it. Put it on your mirror and look at it every day. Remind yourself of what you're good at. Maybe you have the kind of energy that you come into the room and, it, and you just lighten the energy for everybody. We could use a whole world full of people like that. You know, I don't know each of you well enough to know what you're good at, but I believe you know what you're good at. And if you don't, turn to your friend this week and ask them. Tell them your minister said. I'm not asking this question to be egotistical, but what do you think I'm good at? And then take that in. Second is really build and cultivate positive relationships. Really build and cultivate positive. You have it here. You really do. We're not a community of perfect people. There's no such thing as perfect people. We are beautifully human. But you have in a unity community people who are trained to and who really believe that there is something good in everyone. And we really do the, our very best to try to see it and try to support one another in that awareness. So you've got a built-in community here that you can, can 
build upon, go into the Sangha Cafe, if you're here in person, go into the Sangha Cafe afterwards. There's a great group that's always chatting in there, and the love in there, and the energy in there. Don't bolt for the doors unless you really have something critical to do. Don't just turn off the, the TV. Stop and think. How can I build some positive relationships? A third, you do you. You do you. Be your authentic self. For some of us, that's easier than for others of us. You do you. Your authentic self. And the last of the suggested to-dos would be to be gentle and kind with yourself. I find myself more and more over the years really harping, sermonizing on that. And maybe it comes out of my own tendency for a long time to think that I could whip myself into shape and I could discipline myself into shape more from an energy of not loving kindness, but an energy that was more forceful or more, um, in some ways, maybe even punitive. Can any of you relate to, to that? That's really exhausting. And I think it's, it's in the long run damaging. I don't believe spirit, God, the divine, or any loving friend or partner or spouse would use that kind of energy to encourage us to grow. I really believe we grow best in a loving environment when we are gentle and kind on ourselves to ourselves. And this leads perfectly to the first stop. And the first stop is send your inner critic to voicemail. Say that with me. Send your inner critic to voicemail. I'm going to turn it into a positive statement. I'm going to send my inner critic to voicemail. Join me if you feel comfortable. I'm going to send my inner critic to voicemail. Again, I'm going to send my inner critic to voicemail. And then don't listen. <laughs> Delete. Right? You don't want to save it. Give it a place to go and then delete it. There are many of us who would never, I think most of us, would never speak to a friend the way we often speak to ourselves up here. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So send your inner critic to voicemail. Louise Hay. How many of you remember Louise Hay? Yeah. Um, said, you have been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Try approving of yourself and see what happens. The second is stop comparing yourself to others. That's a big one, right? Stop comparing yourself to others. And maybe the starting point of stopping comparing yourself to others is catching yourself when you are comparing yourself to others and naming it and saying to yourself, oh, I'm comparing myself to others right now. The sheer awareness of what you're doing that you don't want to do will help you stop doing it. I like this quote from John Acuff or Acuff. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Isn't that good? Don't compare your beginning. You may be beginning, I don't know, you could be beginning on the path to sobriety. You could be beginning on the path to learning how to play the piano. You could be beginning on the path of a brand new business. 
But our tendency is we look at somebody who's already accomplished it and we compare where we are to where they are. And that can be demoralizing. So stop comparing yourself to others. And the third, stop holding yourself hostage to your biggest mistake or failure. Stop holding yourself hostage to your biggest mistake or failure. You've made some mistakes, maybe some really, really big ones. But you're not the mistakes that you've made. And that's a really big difference. That's really understanding that is important. It doesn't mean that you're excused from clearing up your mistakes or messes that you may have made. There may be amends we have to make. There may be um, retribution. There may be things that we have to do to clear up our mistakes. So we don't turn away from that. But we free ourselves from equating who we are with that. We're not a mistake. We make mistakes. But we personally, individually, are not a mistake. So it's my hope in kind of taking you through some of the, the why we might go through times where we don't feel very good about ourselves, the four little categories I gave you, as well as some suggestions for things to start doing and things to stop doing, that there are one or two ideas that really hit home to you that you can work with so that together we can be a better version of ourselves for ourselves but also a better, happier version of ourselves for the people who call us friend or parent or teacher or partner. And in that, we really are part of a ripple effect that helps to make things better all around us. Namaste. Namaste.